Here we go. Here we are again. We are again. Another round. RTT 64. RTT 64. Uh, I'm on, uh, I named this the surprising necessity of repentance just because uh, I like the surprising necessity of resilience I, and didn't feel title. like. <laughs> so I thought I'd take another, another bite at the apple. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about repentance. There's a story in Ezra we're going to talk about, a, a, a not very often uh, discussed. I'm not going to say it's avoided, but not very often discussed story in, in Ezra. But um, maybe first let's just talk about, I guess, the idea of repentance. Um, I don't know... I'm older than you, so I don't know if this, the image that I have, the cultural image that I have of repentance is some dude, some scraggly dude walking up and down the street with a sandwich board sign that says repent for the end is nigh or something mm -hmm. like that, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. The street feature, you know, that I, I don't, we don't, Bullhorn man. Have. Bullhorn man, uh, you know, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they totally have uh, my best interest in, in at heart. <laughs> I, 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 I saw them in uh, Traverse City years ago at the, the festival up there on July 4th. The big black, you know, signs with red paint. Repent for the end is near. God doesn't like long hair and rock and roll. You know, things like that. Sweet. So is that the year? I was probably... Because you go, you guys go up every year. We go up there, same general part of the country, frequently. Uh, that was that the year Kid Rock. Uh, you know, we were staying at a, a, a Boy Mountain, and we and we discovered that it's a Kid Rock concert on one of the in the summer, one of the slopes of the of the. You know, there's all this orange kind of construction fence, and all of a sudden it's like, huh, all these people walking by on the way to the festival concert, <laughs> and it's. It is kid. So I wondered if that was the year Kid Rock was up there. And, That's a great uh, question. I don't know. They were protesting, you know. Yeah. All right. everything Kid Rock. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think he's from he's from Michigan. Uh, the kid, Mr. Rock. I'm not sure how he what how he wants to be referred to as. <laughs> not not the Rock. He can't be the Rock. <laughs> no. But, but no. Maybe Mr. Rock. <laughs> yeah. So that's my idea of of. You know the, the cultural idea of repentance is a uh, not not just a kind of a bad one, but sort of a you know the idea that the people who say we need to repent are out of touch, apocalyptic, you know, some scraggly band of outsiders pointing their crooked bony finger at all of us and yep. uh, telling us to repent. Um, so what do we think of repentance? What do you think of repentance? What comes to your mind? What, what, is, what is our cultural, uh, I guess, mood or understanding or lack thereof around the word? Yeah, I feel, I feel like for me, it was a, it was a word put on repeat, repeat uh, for my upbringing. But I feel like I've had enough space where maybe it wasn't used to where I think, no, that's a that's a biblical concept. That's a good thing. Repentance is it's necessary. You know, the, the turning away from 
a life of destruction and uh, submission into submission to Jesus, it, it, it's a key component for salvation. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's well, funny think, how you're almost almost an apologetic acknowledgement because it was kind of half ruined, right? The word was kind of half was ruined. A bit half ruined. It was a bit half ruined because it was it was only the one side of the thing, and. Um, you know, theologically, not to get too in the weeds here, but for me, I think that it's, you know, grace precedes repentance. It's grace that enables people to turn. It's grace that awakens people to the need for repentance. I, I mean, I don't think it's repentance that brings about this, you know, all of a sudden I do this and therefore, you know, now, now I've done the right thing to get God, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So it's not an earning of something. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna say. Yeah, because you know, you know, the phrase "to err is human, uh, to forgive divine," uh, which I was gonna attribute to Shakespeare, but I looked it up and it's not uh, Snoop Dogg. It's Snoop Dogg. It's Snoop Dogg, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, and you know, that used to be somewhat of a cultural idea. Um, yeah, the, the, I think the phrase actually comes from a poem, I think by a guy, guy by the name of Copeland or something in the 1700s. And he's really talking about literary criticism. He's a, like, part of it is he addressing critics. Uh, oh. Of, <laughs> oh. But anyway, uh, but there's, you know, the idea that, of course, everyone has faults. Everyone sins. All, it's, a, it's a shared trait of humanity to be in the wrong from time to time, even if, and that's a cultural idea that comes from Christianity, of course, but it's not necessarily, um, I think people would have admitted that um, throughout our history that weren't necessarily Christians, that of course, everyone makes mistakes, blah, 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 nobody's perfect. Uh, at least the first part of that. Um, and the second part of that, maybe forgiveness is a trait uh, of God, a divine trait that we should emulate. I think that was sort of the original idea. I think it sort of changed into forgiveness is kind of the thing God, you know, he's, he's in the forgiveness business. So I can't help sinning. He's in the forgiveness business. Oh, well, right. <laughs> yeah. That's that, you know, I'll just sin. He'll forgive. That's just the way it goes. You know, there's no sense really dwelling on it. Uh, which is kind of moves away from this idea of, of repentance. Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> let's, what, what is a po- what, what is a positive? I mean, what is, what is the word supposed to mean? What is it? And, and why is it, is it necessary? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's, it's completely necessary because it points to something that has going on. Um, in the, in your own inner world, which is, I recognize the way that I've been living, um, is whatever, how do you, however you want to put it, that, that I'm in charge of my own life. I'm in control, uh, self-absorbed, you know, whatever I've been about me. And now I realize that that's not getting me anywhere or I don't want to do that anymore. And this is, you know, another word to throw in here is, is conversion. Repentance mm-hmm. is necessary because conversion means you're born again. You have a new, new perspective, new heart, new mindset, new life, basically. Um, repentance, I would argue, is key in that, a key ingredient in that. 
Yeah, because you have to recognize that you are spiritually dead and need to be made spiritually alive. You have to recognize that you know there are there is a debt to be paid at the cross. There's some mm-hmm. acknowledgement of. And it's not like, no, I'm pretty good, but I'm going to throw the salvation thing on top just as a, <laughs> you know, icing on the cake. It's, that's not how it works. Um, and I think this kind of a re- regular pattern of, you know, the Lord's Prayer has forgiveness uh, in it, uh, a daily sort of rhythm of this is not just for, uh, you know, major, uh, you know, mortal sins to use a an old sort of catholic category it's sort of a a recognition that there's always something from me to turn away from and turn toward uh right yeah to to put it in a yeah to put it in a really practical sense this this happens all the time let's just say you illustrate with children um you know someone takes the baseball and throws it through the window and you saw the person you saw the child doing say hey you know, did you take the ball and throw it through the window? No, I didn't do it. Okay, well, you're, you're stuck in that moment. You can't really get anywhere forward because the repentance means I'm not blame shifting anymore. It wasn't someone else's fault. Uh, I yeah. own, I take responsibility. Hey, 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 it happened. Yeah, it happened. A ball <laughs> went through a window. <laughs> right. Just prior to that, that ball was in my hand. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So those like, are the yeah, facts you, of the case. You, you so realize the mission of reality, right? Like, yeah, yeah that, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. You have to own it. You have to say like, yeah, you can't no more blame shifting and no more pointing the finger and no more. That's my parents fault or that's uh, society's yeah. fault. Or I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to. So it's not really that bad. Yeah. I can think of all the times <laughs> when I was a kid where I was like, huh. I don't, hmm. I don't. <laughs> have no idea. Sure. How no that idea. I'm sure. Uh, so one time, and I was pretty little. I don't remember. I mean, uh, but we uh, we lived uh, next to this house uh, that had a big, big front yard. We used to, it was like a perfect football field. I mean, the yard was probably uh, more than 50 yards long. Um in a sort of an odd shaped, you know, whatever. They had a big piece of ground. And uh, so one day, our our window shatters. I mean, it made me laugh when you were seeing that. So I, I made, I went, and I walk in to our, like, I think it was the, the living room. And the window is broken. And there's a golf ball sitting in the middle of the room. And I look out the window. And there's my neighbor, like, running, like, the neighbor, like, teenager. <laughs> like the teenager at the, you know, like running sideways back into the house. <laughs> and I think, I don't remember, I'm a little fuzzy. Uh, I think uh, my parents called over, somebody did, and asked, and it was like, no, no, <laughs> not well then, how did this golf ball get him to be in the? <laughs> and I remember about about ten minutes later, the neighbor teenager was you know was at our door with like cash in his hand to pay for the window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like okay, uh, 
I mean, there, at some point, there's not plausible deniability. At some point, <laughs> people do the deniability. Things. Oh my goodness! Because I've seen that, and then I've seen the person get upset that you actually right. would right. think that they did it, but then they end yeah. up paying for it. But they're mad. Right. They're like, right. "Well, I didn't do it, right. but I'll go ahead and pay for right. it." <laughs> right. And I, I do think that's a good point. Like the the suggestion that I have done this wrong is offensive, which is, of course, a pretty anti-Christian notion, right? And pretty much, yeah, no, Christ says you do a lot of things wrong all the time. So that yeah. somebody else might suggest that this might be one of them. Eh, it's, yeah, it's okay. It's not, it's not that offensive, really, necessarily. It may be wrong, but probably you've done other th- things if you haven't done this. And it's usually a tell that they did do it if there's a lot of energy around it. <laughs> right. Like, how can you possibly? I never, my good sir. Right. Right. Uh, and so that also then, if I don't, if I'm slow to repent, I'm probably slow to forgive. Right. Um, where, I mean, it's, there's times where it's necessary for me to repent and it's just false. It's almost like a lie if I don't. I'm I'm it's like it's like the golf ball in the living room where okay, let's just admit reality first. I mean, that's let's just start there. Like this happened. Like the ball went through the window <laughs> and it was just in your hand. I mean, let's just uh and if we don't, then it is this sort of weird, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I mean, yeah. glass yeah. ball you know, empty space. Uh, and so there's, there's a, there's a falseness to not admitting our wrong, not repenting. Right. Uh, and then there's the same thing where it's, you know, it's just, it's right and just for me to forgive and it's unjust for me not to like, there's a certain, um, you know, there's a certain wrong to, you know, not, not forgiving when I, I need to, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the sense of, uh, uh, you know, repentance being a foreign thing, uh, forgiveness being something that's strange or whatever. Um, and so I wanted to kind of look at that, this idea in this uh, uh, biblical context of Ezra, where um, when we talked, when we last talked, and it was the surprising necessity of resilience, I think. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember. Maybe that was two those weeks feel ago. Like, those feel like two chapters in a book that you are putting together. Like, right. Yes. Back back yeah, I like it. I like it. I should do that. Um, but in Ezra, so they, they, they go back. Ezra leads a group back. And then there's the whole issue of... The Levites didn't show up. They kind of forgot who they were. If they really were tuned into their identity, and then they they would want to go back. Uh, so that's sort of part one. And then part two, they get back, and Ezra sees that all of the people who were there, maybe the first wave of people who went back, had, you know, the it, and it's the way it's referred to in, the, in Ezra nine and ten is intermarried, uh, uh, and. It's, you know, it's important to say, we'll probably say it again, that 
intermarriage wasn't really the problem. It was assimilation. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't just that they went to this place and married uh, people of a foreign tribe and foreign practices is that they married the people who were there and assimilated into the culture and stopped being God's people, stopped living as God's people. They lived as whoever, whoever it was, you know, the Jebusites and Perizzites and Hittites and all the ites. Um, And that was the, so they had given up their distinctiveness and they had sort of betrayed the whole reason to go back. And, you know, this was what got them into exile in the first place, right? And so Ezra goes back and they've gone through, God's done this miracle to get them back there. And he finds this out. Uh, and so uh, Ezra 9, 3 and 4, when I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. So that's a lot of appalled. He's, he's, a, he's a very appalled. He's that's very a, appalled. Pulled out his own hair and beard. Yeah. It's deep. Tore it's his visceral. tunic and cloak. Yeah. So I oh. tore my tunic and then my I tore my cloak. I pulled hair from my head and then my beard. And then I yeah. sat down appalled. I just skip I mean, the, the whole... appalled part usually. <laughs> if that. I mean, yeah. if that. Yeah. And and so that's this sense of um, I mean, what do we do with that? And then and then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness. And they just sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Hmm. So like what's going on there? What does that tell us? What do we learn? How do we, how do we process this? Is this just some, well, they did stuff like that in the old Testament, but we don't, we don't have to, I mean, I don't even have a beard for crying out loud. Uh, (laughs) So what do we do with this? That's a, yeah, I think one of the questions I have is in a, in a world right now in the culture of, you know, people want to find offense really quickly, uh, at, with others and how is this being appalled and a proper sense of being appalled at sin and the need of repentance different than a self-righteous, you know, you, you couldn't repent enough type yeah. of yeah. stance. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do think I mean, that's, this is, there's truth here. This is something to be, to read yeah. from and say, okay. Right. Um, well, let me, you know, as we, as we answer that question, uh, let me read, uh, you know, verses five and six, the, the next two verses. So then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord, my God, and prayed, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. And that, so that's one of the differences is, and it's a very interesting I think countercultural, not only cultural, but countercultural within the church, 
this idea that Ezra hadn't done this. Right. But he was included. It's us. It's not them. He's not condemning them. He's appalled at the people with which he is associated with. Mm-hmm. Our people, we, we did this. Even though not everyone did it, even though he hadn't done it. Uh, and so that changes, that part of it is, I think, super interesting. Because I think there's a lot there. Like, first of all, the fact that God's people are sort of betraying their purpose and betraying God's sort of miraculous grace that brought them back to the promised land that was unearned and allowed them to rebuild the temple and allowed them to have sacrifices, all of that stuff, they've sort of betrayed that. And it's just appalling. He's like appalled on God's behalf. Yep. Right? And he's including himself in the, like, we shouldn't have done this. This is horrible. This is a horrible thing we did. Yeah. And we, that's not us. I, I, I love his inclusivity of himself with the community. Um, and you and I got to get some flavor of this because we went to Covenant Seminary, mm-hmm. which is uh, really focused on um, the commute, the communal aspect of the scripture. I think it's so far from us uh, in evangelical Christianity. The, this conversation is so far from us because we have maybe properly at the, at the beginning emphasis individual responsibility mm-hmm. for repentance and salvation right. and confession. Like, Hey, you have to own this yourself. And, and that's not, not true, but it's almost become an overemphasis to where I could not imagine experiencing uh, good things because of someone else's faithfulness or experiencing judgment because of someone else's unfaithfulness. Like that, that just, that almost feels unfair. But again right. and again and again, that's what we see from the scriptures is even right. the remnant of the people of God in the Old Testament might have experienced the judgment that the other half of the community incurred, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I think that's this idea that Ezra includes himself in, because as the prayer goes on, he says, you know, from the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. You know, it was our sins that got us into into exile in the first place. Our, our, our. He's not even alive when he's talking about the sins of God's people that led to exile. And, you know, that was, he's talking about 100 years prior. Uh, and he isn't involved personally in these sins either. And there's this sense that we, God's people, are not living up to the promise. And uh, for God's sake, that is appalling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we are uh, appalled that we could do that to God. Uh, and, you know, that we could betray the purpose he's given us and betray this new identity he's given us and so on and so on. The sense of, uh, you know, it, I, it, you know, the, I'm, there's a, a number of possible examples, you know, that were, you know, that we, we could talk about today. And before I go to one that's perhaps, well, I mean, this is pretty contemporary too, but like, what is my response to the sexual abuse crisis in the Catholic church? Mm-hmm. What should it be? Uh, and, you know, I will have to confess, speaking of repentance, 
you know, something I've had, I've realized I've had to repent of is this sense of, oh, those people got problems. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Those people, well, I can see what they did wrong. I mean, those people did blah, blah, blah. And I could see, uh, you know, they should have done. And it's a they, they, those people. I'm, I'm from the outside. Uh, and instead of saying, we God's people have betrayed the gospel and betrayed, you know, the, the role, the office of spiritual authority that we received in order to do God's work <clears throat> that we can include ourselves in. And I'm not saying every Catholic person is a true, you know, Christ follower necessarily, but that's not even the point that you could say that about, you know, every, every denomination, right. uh, except the, except the United Methodist uh, church. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but it's like, I don't, I mean, so to what extent am I included in that? And in what extent am I appalled for God's sake that God has been betrayed? God's name has been betrayed. And for his sake, even though I'm personally not the one doing it in that sense, mm-hmm. at least that's appalling. And this idea that I'm going to tear my tunic, whatever the cultural equivalent, uh, we don't do this anymore. We don't pull hair from our head or beard and whatever, you know, all of these things are sort of, you know, uh, just sort of an outward expression of almost humiliation to pull hair from your beard is like a humiliating thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that we're sort of basing ourselves and are sort of humiliated for God's sake or something. I just think that's such a countercultural notion that I probably need to think about, you know, I probably should be, I should be, I definitely should be more appalled for God's sake when some things happen that I have nothing to do with personally than I am. It's not about, like, you know, that's the first thing we do. We think about ourselves. Well, I I'd never do that. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Um, I do think it's countercultural, potentially even counter, uh, church cultural right now. Um, I was looking at Ezekiel 36 the other day, which is one of the promises of the new covenant. I'll give you, I'll replace your heart of stone, give you heart of flesh. Um, but that's a that's actually a promise to the exiles before they return or as they're mm-hmm. returning. And he says that before that he has some really hard God has some really hard things to say through the prophet Ezekiel, which is basically you you blackened my name among the nations. You ran it through the ground. Like we had a covenant, right. I was your covenant king, you were my covenant people, your faithfulness was to put put me on display as a good and holy and kind and gracious God, but your unfaithfulness ran me into the ground. And interestingly, then he says, but I'm going to bring you back because I need to restore my name. I've got, I've got to restore my name because you've run it into the ground. So I'm going to bring you back to the land and I'll give you a new heart so that you can do this better. I think yeah, it's that's... hard for us to think why, why, well, God's reputation. What? Right. But God can take care of himself. But the, it's sort of the whole point of the people of Israel was to display God to the world, right? To live out God's character, uh, to be a distinctive people where the rest of the people could say, oh, I want to join with them. They know the one true God. 
that's what it looks like. And instead of doing that, they did the opposite. Mm-hmm. And they, in the name of living out, you know, the law, living out, you know, God's character, in the name of that, they did, they did the opposite. And so to the extent that we in the church do that now, in the name of, you know, God thing, you know, in the name of grace, we're very ungracious. Uh, it is about, it is about, uh, in a sense, dragging God's name through the mud, misrepresenting God on earth when we're supposed to represent God on earth, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we're the priesthood, we're supposed to show the world who God is and bring the world to God. And when we misrepresent God, we're, it's the, I mean, it's not a side point. It's like the whole point. Mm-hmm. Like the whole purpose of us being here collectively is to be the light of the world, is to be the salt of the earth. And that's, you know, that's really, um, I want to, I want to come back to that point in a second, because there's one more thing about this whole repentance idea that I want to, I want to get to a couple, two more points, really. I mean, so the first one is about, so the, uh, there's, talk of corporate repentance, really talk of national repentance around the idea of race in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, first of all, would say my, I would say that the national repentance here that we see in the Old Testament really corresponds to the repentance of God's church in the world, not to one nation. Yep. Uh, that during this part of the story, that they were the same thing, the nation of Israel and God's people were the same thing. And in order to become sort of God's people, you joined, you know, you were to join in a sense, Israel. Um, And that's not true anymore. And so God's people is the church. And so corporate repentance, I think, in this context should be the church repenting. Because the people in America outside the church, I mean, what is repentance even, what does that even mean to them? Um, and so there might be a sense that we as a nation have done wrong and need to do better. And that's different though, than this idea of repentance, I would say, um, that, that, and I think, I think a, that's true. And B, we have to at least recognize there's a slippery slope here that, uh, I think most of us are not going to get it right. Like Ezra got it right, where they Mm -hmm. really, we really identify with the corporate sin it, 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 that's just my, my experience of people talking about corporate repentance. There isn't a sense of being appalled at God's, but for God's sake and us, it's more of a condemnation from the outside. Mm-hmm. Like it, it sounds like we, meaning really you should repent of these sins, meaning you really need to repent and we'll have corporate repentance, which really means I'm repenting of your sins because I'm sort of, you know, I'm sort of saying I I would never do that. And this is not a hint that you get, you don't get that at all from Ezra, that we're including ourselves in, and there's a, it, you know, corporate repentance can then sound basically like me condemning you and, and, and baptizing it and spiritualizing it. Uh, and, you know, that's sort of, uh, that's just my, I have this sort of a flag goes up whenever I hear us talk about it, not because it shouldn't happen, 
but because in my observation, it doesn't seem like it happens. Great. Like mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, there's a corporate repentance call from somebody who's angry at other Christians. And you don't get that sense from Ezra. There's a corporate repentance call from someone who's appalled and including himself in, into the, I'm appalled we did this. Um, and I just think that's a real, that's a slippery slope there that we have to, am I inc really including myself? Am I appalled for God's name on behalf of God's people that I'm including myself in? Uh, and if not, I kind of need to, am I really just talking bad about other Christians and using mm. spiritual language? I don't know. Maybe I'm, what do you think? Maybe I'm off base. Yeah. There. No, I, I don't think so because it's, I think you're right. You have to read the undercurrent and you have to read the, the tone. And um, unless the group or the Christians or the whoever is calling other people to repent is including themselves in the corporate sin, then yeah, we're pretty far from Ezra. Um, yeah. How, well, how have we, what do we need on that? That's just, to me, it's just it's so indicative of an of of a of a culture that still can't um, we just can't get past this um, stage of development and get into maturity. We're just so concerned with pointing the finger and blaming everyone else for the problem, as opposed to you know I, I watched the Brene Brown talk on uh, Netflix the other day, as opposed to just falling on the sword and being vulnerable. Like there's zero vulnerability in in the culture right. today. No one yeah. wants to say yeah. it's my fault. It really is right. my fault. It really is our fault. Yeah. Like I really do have biases um, and I don't know what they all are, but you know, I, right. I got those. It, yeah. Nobody wants to say that's on me. Right. So it's a different yeah. a word, but it corresponds to repentance. Right. I like it. I mean, I think that's, I, I was just reading uh, kind of a, a survey about cancel culture, like who's for it, who's against it. Uh, younger people, uh, are much more for it. Uh, majority still think it's a bad and dangerous thing. Um, and one of the things that there is a, uh, I mean, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. And I think that the, the, the word judge there kind of condemn not lest you be condemned is probably a better current <clears throat> day understanding of what he's saying there. Not, not don't make judgments, of course, that's absurd, but don't condemn others. Uh, lest you'll be condemned by the same uh, notion. And I think that's often what I see in, in camp cancel culture now is there's a lack of grace, a lack of humility, a lack of perspective that a, this person is saying something different than, than, you know, what I believe. Uh, I don't have anything to learn from them. There's nothing I need to think about in terms of their perspective their opinion is heterodox. It must be condemned. They must go away. Um, lacks perspective, grace, humility. There's nothing I can learn here. Um, and then it's not just perspective and humility and willingness to listen to others and understand where they're coming from. It's this, if they have actually made a mistake, there's no grace. Mm -hmm. it, uh, there's no nuance that my righteousness depends on the con condemnation of your unrighteousness. 
And I think that's where people who are sort of in favor of it look at that. That's a good thing. We're making things better by condemning these bad people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I don't necessarily think that's always true. Obviously, in some cases, people do uh, heinous, awful things or take heinous, awful positions and the culture needs to say, yeah, that's wrong. Um, but I do think there's this sense of uh, where it's a, it's a new fundamentalism where there are rules, you broke the rules, you're out. Uh, and just like the old fundamentalism, it lacks grace and it lacks mm-hmm. inclusiveness. Like I have, I have, I have a lot to learn. I don't know everything. I'm going to make mistakes. I have made mistakes. I'm going to need grace. I'm going to need forgiveness. I need to offer it to other people and so on. Um, and I think that's, you know, it just, this picture in Ezra is just so different, uh, from that. Um, okay. Let me, we're, we're, we're running, we're running long here. Uh, we must be. We must be just throwing wisdom out like in the flow. Speaking of wisdom, you you got one more point, but speaking of the wisdom of Christ, Mm -hmm. you reap what you sow. You sow condemnation. You're going to reap it. You sow shaming and canceling. You're going to reap it. That principle is true in a universal sense. You reap what you sow. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. I mean, you, and a lot of people have pointed to the French revolution as an example of this where, you know, Robespierre was one of the first people to, you know, we have to take the guillotine to this, these nobility, and then we have to take the guillotine to the priests, and we have to take the guillotine to these people. And, you know, guess how Robespierre died less than a year later, right? They took the guillotine to him uh, because the moment he said, okay, I think we've guillotined enough people, you know, that was his sin. And he's, and I think there's just this sense of, right, if I'm going to condemn others, I'm going to be condemned. And that's what Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, is is right, right there. And we all do it to some degree. Uh, I'm not, you know, trying to sit outside of it. Um, so in that, in a sense, that court of dovetails with th- this last point, which kind of goes into this idea of what was wrong, what, you know, why was Ezra appalled? And is this idea of being a distinctive people that, you know, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And if you cover up the light and if the salt loses its saltiness, what's the point? Like you've defeating the entire purpose. Uh, And so Jesus is saying that to us, God's people. uh, And that's the same thing here, where if you go back and intermarry and adopt the practices of those people and just become a different version of the Perizzites and Hittites and Jebusites and blah, blah, blah. The whole point of being a distinctive people to show God to the world is defeated. Uh, and of course, the idea now is if we in the church just become another version of the culture around us, the whole point is defeated. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this sense of repentance, grace, forgiveness, condemning others like we have to be distinctive and we have to represent god's truth and grace uh to the world and that's gonna mean by necessity we're gonna have to be countercultural. you know to be the salt of the earth to be the light of the world means we're gonna stand out that's the whole point we're gonna stand out in a good way uh and if we just sort of join in uh and so there's this sense that we need to identify with the culture around us, 
and communicate with it and become uh, a part of, but also be distinctive to love well, to represent God well. Uh, and, you know, perhaps if we just join into the cancel culture, for instance, full bore, then we're just like everyone one else. So what, what does countercultural look like? What does that look like for us? Um, do we ever, you know, will we ever defend someone with grace that we don't agree with? Um, that would be countercultural and that would be a risky countercultural thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't exactly know how, you know, all of that, how that plays out. Uh, but you know, for me, you know, you know, identifying myself and being appalled on God's behalf for the, uh, you know, the, the scandal in the Catholic church, for instance, that would be, that's somewhat countercultural and foreign to me. That's something that probably I need to, I need to think about. Uh, and there's probably lots of other ways that like, what does it look like to be, to not join a faction of the culture or not be, withdraw and be a subculture to be, be in, engaged in our culture. So we're actually the salt is not hidden away in the storehouse, but it's out in the world, but it's still salty. And I think that's the challenge, right, that we live with. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to recognize, okay, here's where I drop the ball. Here, I need, I need to confess. I need to repent. I need to forgive. All of that would be countercultural. All that would be salty, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's a need for it, not just for my own spiritual standing, but to display something to the world around me. Uh, you know, we live in an age where humility is countercultural. Where grace is countercultural, where nuance is countercultural, uh, where condemnation and sort of this outside-in righteousness is cultural, uh, and so what does that what does that look like uh, for me? Uh, I think that's that's the question I'm some I'm I'm struggling with to some degree, and and it's even to say that well you don't you know. So you think it's fine that they blah, blah, blah. Well, no, it doesn't. No, no. Grace is not what you did is fine. That's not what grace is. What you did is wrong, but I have grace because I do wrong things and I need grace. And that's the gospel. That's countercultural. And that's pretty hard to do and risky, I think. Right. We're going to stand out in a negative way, perhaps, if we if we live that way. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I just keep thinking of the, the surprising necessity of the cross mm. because the cross really shows us that it's not going to be about winning or being in, in some sort of power or on top or being victorious. It's going to be about losing and showing the weakness and sacrificing and all of what you just said, it's going to look like weakness and yeah. defeat right but that actually in the long run that's going to bring right. about the truest uh nature of new life i think is we need more people the church me we need more people to go the way of the cross not figure out hmm. how we can get a step up on the other people that we think hmm. are ruining the country or the world yeah yeah the cross shouldn't be <laughs> The necessity of the cross shouldn't be surprising. But <laughs> it feels that way. <laughs> it feels that way. It yeah. feels that way. Uh, yes, I like that. The surprising necessity 
uh, of the cross. Um, and so let's, let's close with that, but that, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus goes to the cross for us and, uh, experiences humiliation, uh, for us. And, you know, that's, um, that we are called, uh, to remember our need for, uh, forgiveness so we remember our need for the cross uh, and to subject subject ourselves to that uh, for his sake uh, is uh, that's the gospel and so to, to live out the gospel is countercultural so uh, with the grace of the gospel we're gonna leave you with that and uh, we will see you next week uh, God's God's grace uh, to everyone out there grace and peace Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.